Hey, I'm Johanna Wagstaff. And hi there, I'm Rohit Joseph. And we're asking for 10 minutes of your day to go through the 10 things that the UN recommends we can all do when it comes to climate change. Please don't leave. No. And also the things (laughs) aren't new. We are just wired to not do them. We promise you to help you figure out your brains and you and your people can make better choices to combat climate change. 10 Minutes to Save the Planet is available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Israel is at the International Court of Justice this week, defending itself against accusations of genocide in Gaza. This case is being brought forward today by the South African government. And for many South Africans, this is a case that goes back to black South Africans' fight against apartheid. The African National Congress, the current ruling party in South Africa, has had a long relationship with the liberation struggle in Palestine as well. Both of them were at one stage liberation organizations that drew on the support of each other. And you might also recall just after the release of President Mandela, he also made the comment that the Palestine struggle remains one that is also one that the South African people associate with. That's Jan Hofmeyer with the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation in South Africa. Otilia Anna Manganese is a legal expert and head of special projects at the Institute for Security Studies in South Africa. We've reached her in Pretoria. Otilia, hello. Hi. How much support does this case have in South Africa, as you understand it? So the case has uh, a majority of support. At the same time, there are uh, a number of people, including the South African uh, Jewish Board of Deputies um, and a collection of some uh, Christian churches that have voiced their opposition to South Africa's application. So while the majority uh, so far seem to support uh, South Africa's push, there is, of course, some opposition from different quarters within politics, but also generally in the community. As I mentioned in the introduction, there is history and and context here. How do you see that history of apartheid shaping South Africa's genocide case against Israel? It is perhaps at the heart of uh, not only South Africa's case against Israel, but also the more generally stated uh, solidarity with the Palestinian people. 1948 is a symbolic year for South Africa in that That is when apartheid was made into law in South Africa. And of course, likewise, within Palestine, 1948 is considered a symbolic year. So on the South African side, the history of apartheid, the history of uh, not always full solidarity until perhaps the mid-1980s from the global community has really informed how the South African government has dealt with uh, the questions uh, in the Middle East, but specifically their relationship with Palestine as well as with Israel. The issue of genocide is, is, I mean, that's, to call it a loaded word isn't strong enough. I mean, there are legal definitions to it and it comes with, with a great weight. What are the legal arguments that South Africa has laid out? I mean, we don't have time to go through the, the entire 84-page dossier, but, but broadly, what are the legal arguments that South Africa is laying out for how it believes, the government believes, that Israel is potentially committing genocide in Gaza? Of course, I'll, I'll take one small step back, Matt, and I'll perhaps define a short definition of genocide and then uh, put forward what South Africa has presented. 
So genocide is defined as a crime of specific intent, and the specific intention is to exterminate in whole or in part a particular group, racial, ethnic, uh, religious group, um, through different measures. South Africa's case that it's put forward uh, includes the, the argument on the failure to prevent genocide, and then the commission of genocide itself and conspiracy to commit genocide. In that, it's also included um, that there has been incitement, both direct and public, uh, to commit genocide by uh, Israel. In the way in which uh, genocide is defined, it's not just about how many people are killed, but it's also about uh, inflicting conditions such that a group can be exterminated. And South Africa, in articulating their positions, have indicated, of course, that beyond the killing of Palestinians in Gaza, that there's also uh, actions by the Israeli authorities causing serious mental as well as bodily harm to Palestinians, forcing their evacuation and displacement and causing widespread hunger among a, a, a long range of crimes. Uh, the main arguments from South Africa is the actions uh, of Israel um, since October um, of 2023 have exceeded the proportionality required in responding to the violence of Hamas. So they've acknowledged the crimes on both sides, but have said there is a limit to how a state can respond to crimes committed against it. The Israeli government has called this case blood libel and says the prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, has said that it is actually Hamas that has committed genocide. What do you make of that response? The, the fact that uh, the Israeli government has, of course, used, uh, has made reference to, to blood libel is perhaps, uh, I would argue, a, a step too far. That being said, uh, the argument that Hamas has committed uh, international crimes themselves is not an argument that the South African authorities reject. So uh, at least on that point, that both parties to the conflict need to seize um, the, the, the war as soon as possible, need to protect civilians. There is agreement, uh, except, of course, on the part where South Africa then also points uh, fingers uh, at Israel as well. There are also accusations of a double standard. Um, Rosalie Abella is a former justice of the Supreme Court of Canada, and she wrote in the Globe and Mail newspaper that this case is being brought by a country that in 2015 refused to send the former Sudanese president, Omar al-Bashir of Sudan, to the International Criminal Court to stand trial for his war crimes, instead facilitated his return to Sudan, in, his, in her words, where he continued his crimes. What do you make of the accusation of, of a double standard, that Israel is being held to account um, in, in a way that is different than other nations? Maybe again, to take another big step back in the case of uh, Omar al-Bashir, when he did travel to South Africa in 2015 for the AU summit, the South African government itself was taken to court and found to not have acted within its obligation to the Rome Statute. Since then, um, the South African government has, in fact, chosen to stay not only within the Rome Statute, but also to invoke the implementation of the Rome Statute Act, where a head of state has been uh, charged with international crimes. That was the case when uh, Vladimir Putin of Russia was meant to travel to South Africa for the BRICS summit. 
uh, and the South African authorities, uh, in exchange with the Russian Federation authorities, basically agreed that uh, Vladimir Putin should not and must not travel to South Africa because, of course, the South African authorities would have to uh, arrest them, him rather, and would act on that arrest warrant. So um, while we can go back to 2015 in terms of South Africa's failure at the time to arrest al-Bashir, when they argued that as a head of state, he was immune from prosecution. What was then in contest was whether or not they could arrest sitting head of state from a country that is not party to the Rome Statute. Mm. As you mentioned, within the Jewish community in South Africa, there has been pushback to this application. The chief rabbi has said that the African National Congress is acting as a proxy for Iran. Tell me about, about how this is playing out politically in South Africa. Within the Jewish community in South Africa, it's perhaps interesting. There's two uh, different camps, if you will. So there are the South African Jews for a free Palestine who themselves have issued a statement in support of the South African government for for its decision to, to start this process at the International Court of Justice. And then on the other hand, there is uh, uh, not only the, the Jewish board, but also uh, a range of actors within the Jewish community that are vehemently opposed to the application this scenario in which we see a number of people within the Jewish community being pro the application, while also those that are against, really mirrors uh, the context within South Africa itself, in which there are people across the religious spectrum that uh, support the government, and then also those that are against. How this could have a fallout politically is something that we are yet to see, of course, when the uh, matter is, when the arguments or the, the oral arguments are made, uh, the ICJ, uh, perhaps post those arguments, we will start to see maybe stronger statements around, uh, around uh, from different communities rather. At the moment, from political parties, uh, those parties that have not supported the, the the South African government's application have actually not issued statements to that effect. They've rather chosen to be silent, whereas those parties that support the application have been the ones that have been vocal mm. within uh, South Africa. Just before I let you go, um, what outcome is the South African government hoping to achieve so immediately, the South African government is hoping for provisional measures that, uh, one, uh, are aimed at ending the war or limiting the impact of the war on Palestinian people, but also on Israelis uh, as well. Um, and for that, uh, that would be the more immediate uh, response. In the longer term, uh, the South African government wants a clearer determination as to whether genocide has been committed or is being committed in Palestine. And then, of course, the obligations of states, not only of Israel, it also argues its own obligations and uh, the obligations of the other uh, UN member states to prevent and then also to respond to genocide where such response fails to be able to, to prosecute it. So it's a longer term vision. And as we know from two other cases before the ICJ related to genocide, that of the Gambia versus Myanmar, and then that of Ukraine versus Russia and 32 other states, um, it's clear that it is going to take time. 
So the final determination is not something that we're going to get this week, certainly, and maybe not even before the end of this year, but the immediate remedy that South Africa seeks are provisional measures that are aimed at stopping the war or limiting the impact of the war on Palestinians and Israelis alike. Otilia, we'll leave it there. Glad to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Otilia Anna Manganidze is the head of special projects in the office of the executive director of the Institute for Security Studies. She was in Pretoria, South Africa. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Tomorrow, Israel will present its arguments in The Hague to refute South Africa's allegations. Amakai Cohen is a law professor at Ono Academic College, also head of the Program on National Security at the Independent Research Center, the Israel Democracy Institute. Hello to you. Hi. In Israel, what has been the response to the ICG case, the ICJ case, and the allegations uh, from South Africa that Israel is committing genocide in Gaza? So, uh, as you mentioned already, um, the general response in Israel uh, regarding the case was uh, denial, uh, of course. Uh, even uh, this belief that the claim of genocide is raised in the current conflict, not only because the history, of course, of the Jewish people, but also because the current conflict, as much as it's a difficult and it has terrible results, both in Israel on the events of October 7th and in the Gaza Strip is considered war in which Israel was attacked by Hamas and actually had no other way but to respond. Therefore, the accusation of Israel as committing genocide is uh, forcefully, I would say, denied in Israel. Politically, you can see that denial in the statements coming out of the Israeli government. What about within the Israeli public? This is a public that before the 7th of October, hundreds of thousands of people were out protesting the actions of the Israeli government and what it wanted to do with the Supreme Court. How does the public, as you understand it, you're not a pollster, but you, you have the, a sense of, of the mood of the public. How is the public responding to those accusations? Uh, of course, the government has slightly changed. It's now a unity government. It involves includes, I'm sorry, uh, parties that were not part of the uh, government earlier. The, the main focus of the government right now is the war. And uh, it enjoys uh, public support in the sense that uh, the conduct of the war, uh, the way it's conducted, it's still supported by, um, by Israelis. There is also a feeling that there was actually no choice uh, as I said, but to respond forcefully in the uh, Gaza Strip. For 16 years, uh, Israel has lived with uh, Hamas and tried to contain it. And this time, the general feeling in the public is that there is no other way but to demolish the abilities of the Hamas to control the Gaza Strip. I don't think that Israelis truly feel that this is a war against the entire Palestinian people. How do you expect Israel will respond to the claims that are going to be presented in the ICJ? So the basic claim of Israel is that legally 
the South African case does not pass the threshold required, is not even close to passing the threshold required in order to commit genocide. So actually genocide, as was said before, consists of, of two ingredients. So the first one is the factual one. So is Israel committing, in fact, the crimes that are mentioned in the genocide treaty? So is there widespread illegal killing of civilians? Is Israel harming, intentionally harming civilians? So that's the first, uh, the first question before the court. And here Israel alleges that it is, in fact, doing exactly the opposite. Israel is trying, and once again, I'm not saying that there are no violations of international law during the war. What I'm saying is that they do not rise to the level required genocide. So that's the first leg. And the second leg is the intention. So is there an intention by Israel to destroy the Palestinian people? And once again, when you look at the way Israel conducts its operation, the way that there are legal advisors within the uh, IDF, if Israel had the intention to kill or to destroy the Palestinian people, Israel has the ability to just bomb it flat. They don't do it. I mean, again, this, 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 well, the subject of that will be the, the, the debate uh, at the ICJ, and I'm sure the details of that yes. will be part of that debate. Yes. But one of the things that has been pointed out is that there are members of the Israeli government, that unity government, they're not part of the war cabinet, but the finance minister, the national security minister, who have made statements saying that they would like to see Israel annex Gaza, rather than turn it over to the Palestinian Authority as the U.S. has advocated, that it would be, in the words of, of those ministers, better for the uh, Palestinians to leave Gaza and perhaps expand settlements there. How, how can that be answered in the context of these allegations? These statements about annexation and even statements about, uh, about displacement of Palestinians the International Court of Justice has explicitly said in previous cases, these by themselves do not rise to the level required by genocide. But there are even, and I, I don't want to, I, I want to face the, the facts and I want to be a little critical of the way Israel handled several declarations by politicians, as you said, not part of the war cabinet, not part of the decision-making process in Israel, that have said worse things than you uh, quoted, such as we need to uh, wipe out Gaza. If, if these were the only statements, these could be interpreted as showing some intent. The South African claim, I think, with all due respect, is here cherry-picking. There is a vast amount of statements and declarations from the Prime Minister down to the Minister of Defense, down to the Israeli Chief of Staff and the IDF spokesperson, saying explicitly, Israel is fighting Hamas. It's not fighting the Palestinian people, and we are doing it according to international law. I must say here, there is a weakness in the Israeli claim in which one could say that Israel did not do enough to suppress these declarations of politicians saying things, once again, I don't think it's the official position of Israel, but still, the a country has a duty to suppress incitement 
to genocide. And here, one could uh, uh, say that Israel perhaps did not do enough. It should do more. Mm. So if this is the claim, then uh, then perhaps it's correct. But this is not the crux of the claim. Tell me about the judge who, who will sit on the bench on behalf of Israel. Who Who is Aaron Barak? He, he has a fascinating story. And there's, a, in part, speaks to some of what you've been describing here in terms of why he in particular was picked. Aaron Barak is a Holocaust survivor. He came to Israel as a kid after surviving the Holocaust in uh, uh, Russia. Uh, he became the uh, legendary president of the Israeli Supreme Court. He is extremely important in the way the Israeli constitutional law was built and interpreted and in the strength and independence of the Israeli Supreme Court. And actually, in the past year, he was demonized by the current government as a person in which, in all the um, judicial overhaul attempts, of the of the government, they put him as the greater greatest nemesis, I would say, of the current coalition, saying uh, he created an undemocratic uh, uh, constitution in which judges made too many decisions. Now he was chosen by Israel as the ad hoc judge, and I think there is something very deep here. Aaron Barak's position internationally as one of the greatest justices alive in the world, is widely respected, has been actually strengthened in the past year in the fact that he has shown that he is an independent person. And is that he, why, what's the message do you think in the context of that? That, that and yeah, the message to, to the, right, and the message to the other justices of the court is not that you need necessarily to support Israel. What you need to, to do is to look at the facts of the case, of your, uh, at your legal precedence, uh, be objective, not act according to political interests of countries, but be independent justices. And actually, Israel, in sending Aaron Barak, shows faith in the International Court of Justice and in the ability of the justices there to adopt an independent legal position uh, regarding this case. You just We're almost out of time, but you said something earlier in terms of acknowledging, to your point, that there may have been violations of international law. There's been a staggering death toll in Gaza. How much willingness do you think there is within Israel um, and by Israel to recognize that some elements of international law could have been violated and should be investigated over the course of when this war is finished? Israel has an, an internal system of investigation of uh, allegations by, regarding violations of the laws of armed conflict that is ongoing. Once the armed conflict began, there is an ongoing independent team that gathers information as the war goes on and looks at, you don't even, it's not even uh, about complaints from Palestinians or NGOs. NGOs. They gather information from the media and look at them as the war goes on. And there will be investigations uh, of allegations at the end of the war. That's the way the system is built. There is an independent team looking at it. If there were violations, they would be investigated. 
We have uh, an independent legal service within the army. There is the independent Supreme Court, whose independence was just strengthened. These violations will be investigated. Regarding specifically your question, there is acceptance, both in the Israeli public and in, in the Israeli political circles, that it is essential that Israel will investigate such uh, allegations, both because of our internal values and there is an international community who's looking at Israel and the International Criminal Court. We understand that there is an international community looking, a community looking at us and asking us for answers. And I think answers will be given. We'll be watching as this unfolds. Amakai Cohen, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm Akai Cohen, is a law professor at Ono Academic College, also head of the Program on National Security and Law at the Israel Democracy Institute. We reached him in Tel Aviv. Next week on CBC Radio's Ideas, there will be more coverage from The Hague with host Nala Ayed, and she is reporting from The Hague today for CBC News. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.